Well, I was plenty nervous that I wasn't going to be able to find you at all, and I'm really happy that I'm here with you. I also was a little anxious about coming to a church that I did not know and to have these lessons because if we're all frank with one another, our gospel lesson is pretty unsettling. It's sort of like one of those Sundays where the priest says, I really need to preach on the psalm this Sunday and <laughs> I, I, I'll just give the gospel a pass. But you know, that's really not such a good idea because it is the very parts of scripture that are so difficult to understand that we should really try to think about and wrestle with. Now we know much of what Jesus said was very comforting. For example, the, what we call the comforting words in right one. Come unto me all ye that travel and are heavy laden and I will refresh you. Those are comforting words. But the words that we read in our gospel about division, father against son, son against father, and so on, are not so comforting. This lesson occurs as Jesus is preparing for his own passion, and he's talking about how God's final judgment will come to pass. So he says, do you think I've come to bring peace? No, I tell you, but rather division. Now, why would Jesus, who so often said peace, said peace be with you to the disciples in the upper room after the resurrection, why is he talking about division, about conflict in a family, and that he comes to bring it? Now, someone wise once said, although the kingdom of God is characterized by reconciliation and peace, on the one hand, the announcement of that kingdom is also always divisive because it requires decision and commitment. I got to tell you, the kingdom of God is not something we wait for that's going to descend on us as we wait for it passively. Whatever you might want to say about Jesus, he was not passive. Even his suffering on the cross was not passive. He preached from the cross. And the words that he said there we will never forget because he chose to say them at the time of his death. The word passive reminded me, I don't know how many of you remember this, of the wonderful film Gandhi with Ben Kingsley. And at some point, someone asks Gandhi and says, so you are in favor of passive resistance. And Gandhi says, I, for myself, have never been in favor of passive anything. And what he goes on to say is that what he is working for is active 
nonviolent, non-cooperation with the British so that they will be, have to face up to the fact that they will have to relinquish rule in India. Now, when we read the gospel lesson, Jesus seems to be talking about a crisis, not only for the individual, but for the nation. And the word crisis sometimes makes us feel, uh-oh, this is a crisis, and that means something terrible is about to happen. But another way of looking at the word crisis is that it's a time where a difficult or important decision must be made. In other words, this is a crisis moment in history. As Jesus often does, I think that he is using dramatic language here to get our attention. Let me remind you of another awkward passage because it was a passage about his own family. In Luke chapter 8, his mother and brothers are trying to reach him. They can't because of the crowd. And he was told, your mother and your brothers are standing outside wanting to see you. And he says, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. And when you first hear that, you say, what is this about? Didn't Jesus love the family he grew up with? Well, of course he did. And if you skip ahead to the book of Acts, which was written, they believe, by the same person who wrote the Gospel of Luke, you will find that it says the disciples were in the upper room and all these with one accord devoted themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. So in fact, Mary and his brothers were some of those who heard the word of God and did it. It wasn't that Jesus was saying, the people sitting with me here in this room are part of the chosen and my family is outside. He was saying, you who are here with me, who hear my word and do it, are part of my family, which includes my family from which I came, but it includes more than that. And when you read the story of a man who was possessed by demons and he asks, can the demons go into the swine in their drum? I mean, this was a man who was a total, total outcast. And Jesus heals him and he becomes part of the family. I think that whenever we think God is trying to exclude someone, we really need to think about, is that what Jesus is really saying? Or is this just something that we think? Now, the words in our gospel lesson for this morning obviously are painful. Father against son, son against father, mother against daughter, daughter against mother, daughter-in-law and mother-in-law being a division 
But I want you to think about this. And it's a good time of year to think about it. Division actually can be creative. How is the body created? Cells divide, creating more cells. If each generation did exactly what the generation before did, that could lead to stagnation in a family, and that is true now as well as then. My grandmother, for whom I was named, Alma Bach, um, <clears throat> was supported by her family. She never worked. Um, I don't think she went to school beyond high school. My mother went to college, did part-time jobs uh, as I was growing up, and then because both me and my brother were in college for this, at the same time, we overlapped by two years, and we didn't come from a wealthy family. My mother in her 50s trained to become an elementary school teacher, and that is why I was able to go to Harvard at the same time my brother was there. And it was my grandmother who paid for her to get educated to do that. Now, I don't know, um, I should explain, I'm a psychotherapist as well as a priest. Um, I don't know how familiar you are with family therapy, but one of the things they talk about in family therapy is how valuable it is for a member of a family to separate themselves and become their own person while at the same time still being attached to their family. And they call the separation from the family differentiation. Differentiation means the capacity to be an I while remaining connected. And in fact, if this doesn't happen, even if nobody talks about it, this can mean more trouble for the family. Now, um, I studied abroad for two years, and then I had a chance to work for an Anglican church in Barcelona. I found some notes I had written down not so long ago, and I wrote down, that my father said, I never thought you would become a priest, and I love my father, but it's good he's not here this morning because you can't ask him why he said that. Um, I was ordained in 83, and that's not so long after women uh, were permitted by canon to be ordained, but this kind of issue of family not expecting someone to become a priest is not just a women's issue. One of my favorite priests who is retired told me his parents were atheists and that not only he but his brother went to seminary. What eventually happened was that when I started Yale Berkeley Divinity School, my father, my mother, my brother, 
my sister-in-law, and even a friend visiting from Scotland all went with me down to Yale Divinity School when I started the church year. And as I think back to it, I, I find that very touching. And although both my father and mother expressed some dismay that I felt called to be a priest, in the end of the day, the day I was ordained, they were very happy. My mother wrote me a letter about three weeks after I was ordained, and this is what she said. She said, darling Alma, I still can't get the ordination out of my mind. I mean, I will never get it out of my mind, but I wish I could get it out a little bit so that I would pack for Scotland. They were going on sabbatical. It was magnificent. I'll never forget you standing there with the red chasuble on. My beautiful daughter, great moments. But then you've given me many, many great moments. You have been a wonderful daughter, and you are beloved by your parents. That is not what they were saying in the beginning. But I separated myself. I didn't leave my family, but I became my own person. There was a division. It was uncomfortable. And in the end of the day, everybody was happy. I was happy. My parents were happy. Sometimes it just takes a while to get used to change. The reason this is a good Sunday to think about this is that kids are going back to school some people are starting high school for the first time. Some people are going to college for the first time. And I'm not a parent, but I can imagine how difficult it is, for example, to take your kid to college and say, you know, look forward to your, your classes and good luck with your roommate and then the parents cry all the way home. <laughs> but that's good division. That's good separation. So yes, division can make for a crisis, but it can also make for something creative and new that helps people become well, for example, that not only will help the child going to college become the person they are meant to be, it helps the parents to grow and become the people they are meant to be. Now, I don't know if you were aware of this, but July 18th was Nelson Mandela's 95th birthday, and there were people who came on... <coughs> television, I think, who said, make this Nelson Mandela Day, do something nice uh, for other people, Archbishop Tutu, the Clintons, all said this was a special day. Now, I tried very hard to verify this, but I do believe that he has pulled through the, the latest medical crisis and that as he has been all his life, he is a fighter. 
Um, as you remember, he was in prison for 27 years because of his opposition to apartheid. He was released in 1990, and he was part of the negotiations with the white president of South Africa, de Klerk, and between the two of them and other people, apartheid was abolished and multiracial elections were held in 1994. Mandela started the Truth and Reconciliation Commission where people who had basically committed crimes against humanity were offered a chance to confess this and be forgiven. And he shared the Nobel Peace, Nobel Peace Prize with the white South African president. And that says something. There had been division and then there was unity. I want to end by talking to you about a movie. I love the movies. What can I say? I just enjoy them. There was a film a few years ago directed by Clint Eastwood called Invictus. And it's about Nelson Mandela and South Africa and of all things, the 1995 World Cup in rugby. Now let me tell you, I have less than no interest in rugby. I'm really not a sports person. I mean, I like to know which horse wins the Triple Crown. And I'm a Red Sox fan, but that, that's not an interest in sports. That's an act of faith. Um, <laughs> So here's this rugby team called the Springboks. Uh, all white team members except sort of one token black South African. And while Mandela was in prison, he even spoke against this team. But when he becomes president, and South Africa is hosting this World Cup match in rugby, he takes a keen interest. And at first, you know, black South Africans are saying, no, 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 we don't want this team. This team represents what we have just overcome. This team represents apartheid. And Mandela says, no, no, we're gonna, we're gonna keep this team. And he talks to the captain of the team, who is um, played by uh, Matt Damon. It's Morgan Freeman, who plays Nelson Mandela. And he has a serious talk with the captain of the team. And he says, this means something. 